1: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito
0: to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three of Stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Stunned. I think Tyrese Halliburton was stunned. Malika, uh, the league is stunned at this trade. First ten for three just back in gets his own board going straight. welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornerers podcast this is your host Mark Schindler as always I'm joined by my co-host colleague and good friend Caitlin Cooper Caitlin how are you doing today
1: doing well it's the day before halloween halloween eve and we get to we get to actually recap two really fun games in addition to two losses but two two fun games
0: yeah uh they were they were certainly fun i think what's interesting i don't know how you're feeling i i, I didn't get to temperature check this with you last week but are you enjoying this season more than last season so far
1: i mean i think that's a pretty low bar mark
0: well yeah that's a, that's a very <laughs> did fit-
1: anyone enjoy the first half of last season
0: no, no one enjoyed it. I feel
1: podcast. like most of our podcasts were just like half hour long rants and then feeling like we were in a toxic relationship with the Pacers.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a fair way to put it. Um, So I think it is pretty easy to enjoy this season compar- comparatively for sure. Um, What are we here to do today? Let the people know.
1: Today we are bringing back... I don't know if it's a favorite, but we're bringing it back. A segment, start, sub, sit, which we are using to recap last week's four games. So we're going to be looking at the losses to Philadelphia and Chicago and then also the wins over Brooklyn and Washington on the back-to-back. And we're each going to pick a start, a sub, or a sit. And start is effectively like, hey, I really like that. Sub's like, mm, kind of on the fence. Want to see more? Maybe don't. And sit is like, enough already. So we're each going to pick that, and then we'll just, you know, vibe off of each other based on those picks i hope we don't pick the same things i mean there's a lot that you could pick on the start segment which didn't happen a lot last year so a lot of ways we can go
0: yeah i i'll let you get started because i i have tons of thoughts i want to get off now that i think about it uh it's it's funny because in doing this i had in some ways a harder and easier time doing this than i did last year because Hey, like you mentioned, I feel like I have a lot more starts than I was expecting. Um, I don't really have, I do have like a couple of sits that I want to get to for sure. Um, But yeah, overall, I just feel like there's a lot more things that I actually really want to bring up in start subset. So I will let you get, get kicking.
1: Yeah, so start, I almost just picked pretty offense as an entirety because I do want to give a shout out. I know that Mike Weinark, coordinates that for the Pacers Mm -hmm. and I'm sure Rick Carlisle has a hand. I'm sure the entire coaching staff has some input on this, but like it isn't just their half court sets, which they are running many pretty half court sets. There's options on options on options on a lot of the things that they have out there, just like in the bulls game, not a win, but they incorporated this new action, which I won't describe on here because people are going to get confused by what I'm saying, but like, just to explain They ran it like four different ways and got different stuff out of it every time that they did that. And that was just like in the first half. I think they call it face, but effectively Mm -hmm. like you're setting a back screen between Buddy and Tyrese. Tyrese comes off that curls around an off ball screen where then the big at the other elbow gives it to him and then he can run pick and roll. But the two players on the underneath of the basket change sides of the floor, which also creates some confusion while this is going on. And they've, they've been running that off and on this week. They also incorporated against Philadelphia where they're using a double drag that's connected to Spain action, where you'll see Tyrese kind of signal for that. And that's created some confusion. I love the opening set against Philadelphia. That was the, half-court lob play for Neesmith. And then later on, I think they ran that against the Wizards at the start of a quarter too, and they couldn't get Neesmith on the lob, but then he came off an exit in the corner. Like There's just a lot of actions connected to the next action. And even if they don't get everything out of that set, then you have Tyrese Halliburton making reads and just playing out of pocket. So I wanted to pick that because right now they do have a top six offense in terms of overall offensive rating. There are second in points per 100 transition plays, ninth in transition frequency, third and three-point attempts per 100 possessions. Like Just looking at those numbers, like not that analytics is all just about the three-point line. That's not really what analytics are. But in terms of how people associate analytics, that's like an efficiency dream, those numbers. Um, and what we've seen from this team, it certainly helps when they're making threes. But what I actually want to pick after that long soliloquy is just Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, I I don't, I don't, I'm running out of superlatives for how he started this season. He's still at 50, 40, 90. He's leading the NBA in assists per game. His numbers this week continue to be stellar. Um, sometimes the free throws can be somewhat up and down in terms of how many he's getting per game, but he is getting there more often this season overall. And it's actual tangible stuff. Like, it's not even just hot shooting. It's like last night against Brooklyn. He has a switch against Nick Claxton. And instead of, you know, he's, again, determined, I'm going to get a shot in this situation. And not my normal shot. I'm going to sidestep to the left, which is not something you would have barely ever seen him do last year in a Pacer uniform. But that's what way the shot's being taken for him to get, and he drills it. And, like, it's not like he's even seeing, like, look over the last week of who he's defended by. Denny Avdia. Ben Simmons, Nick Claxton on switches. Like these aren't Alex Caruso in Chicago. Like there's a lot to be said about what Brooklyn's defense was last night, but these aren't cupcake people defending him either with what he's doing. And I, I also like how aggressive he's being in the switch pocket that way. Like a lot of these teams are using switches. So like, even if Denny Avdia is his primary defender, they come set a screen and then Tyrese doesn't have to be defended by his length anymore. But you know, there's this little tiny window where the person who's defending the screener and is going to switch out. There's almost always a little bit of space in between when, when one defender's handing you off to the next. If it's the pacer switching, sometimes there's a ton of space because they're not very watertight. But, you know, teams that are better at switching, there's, there's just a little window and he's shooting right over the top of that. That way he's not having to really get into these battles with length. And also just what his finishing was against the Wizards in the second half, like... I don't know. Like I have too many nice things to say about Tyrese Halliburton.
0: Uh, let me just pull up a moment for you from uh, from the Wizards game. Do you know what I'm going to bring up?
1: Uh, probably one of the absurd finishes he had. That,
0: no, that pass.
1: The, oh, the jump pass.
0: Yes, he jump fake to the slot, no look to cutting Matherin on on baseline. Like that was un- unreal. Like I, I I I'm right there with you. It's kind of crazy because like. Maybe I'm just like too in wrapped in what, uh, um, in what is the word in what, uh, just general consensus can be amongst Twitter. But to me, it feels like, and I mean, rightfully, like Mathern has been awesome, and we're going to talk about him. It feels like, like Tyrese has almost gone gone over, overlooked in some ways, just nationally and in general, because of you know the way the has played uh and like 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 you're sitting on he's just been he's been splendid to start the year i think it's a great way to put it i mean he's, his his numbers right now are insane obviously everything is not numbers we we know that we talk about that but 23.4 points per game four boards 10 assists on 50 46.7 94 splits right now like that's it's insane. It's yeah, insane it's insane and he's like making legitimate leaps in terms of He's doing less stuff. I mean, he's doing more things self-created, um, as you mentioned. Like it just—it's—it's it's very much awesome to watch Tyrese Halliburton play basketball.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's—it's—he's shooting over 15 shots, which is a big thing for him all on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, the three-point unassisted, he's at 47 percent. He was at 42 percent last year with the Pacers, so not a huge jump, but still a jump. 48.3 percent on pull-up threes. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's nuts. And he's also taking more catch and shoot threes, which I value. And he's shooting those at above 40% clip. So, I mean, I don't know that he's going to continue shooting to these extents the whole season, but just, I mean, like I said, there's actual tangible things that you can watch him do that he was not doing at the end of last season. So um, yeah. And, and like I said, the offense is an efficiency dream and so is he right now. And I think both of those things are really going hand in hand because I, I can't say enough about a lot of the half court actions that the Pacers are running, but if they don't get stuff out of those, then Tyrese is is leading them and getting them to something out of pocket. And that just says a lot about him. So definitely wanted to just gush about Tyrese Halliburton for my start.
0: And I appreciate that. That makes me, I'm here for it, honestly. Um, I'm trying to think where I want to go cuz like I said I have multiple ways that I think I could oh, go. Oh, there's a this. very
1: long list of things we could have picked here.
0: It's it's difficult. Um I'm going to go so I'm instead do I have to go with my start? Can I go with a sub? Talk no, we need that. to
1: do the starts.
0: Okay, we oh, I, I mean just, I can I can
1: chatter for a while. I mean the Pacers set a franchise record made 23 made threes against Brooklyn last night. Um Buddy Heald just... has Buddy Hill has been a flamethrower. <laughs>
0: Buddy Heald has been insane. As as much as we just talked about how good Tyrese has been. Buddy's shooting 44.6% from three on 9.3 attempts per game right now.
1: He's 17 of 32 over the last three games.
0: That's pretty good.
1: I'm just imagining like Rob Polinka sitting in an office somewhere, just like staring through a range streaked <laughs> window.
0: <laughs> Did watching you
1: see... film of Buddy Heald.
0: Did you see that clip that came out yesterday from the Spectrum All Access? No. Oh my god, it's let me send it to you really quick. Um, it is from a, yeah, Spectrum All Access, is like going inside of the Lakers, and it's talking about it, it shows Rob Palinka talking about how there's no I in team and all this stuff. It is like I thought it was from a Comedy Central sketch, it's like that bad in terms of how it comes off. It's so terrible. Uh, not that it was like obscene or anything, but just like it was. I was like how did you guys let this go to air without realizing that this was going to be absolutely terrible and received terribly but it was it was very funny. Um I'll find it eventually and send it to you. But
1: can I be uh, allowed to keep chattering about Buddy for a little bit? Of
0: course, cuz I've enjoyed Buddy a lot too.
1: Um yeah, so he goes, you know, goes wild in that third quarter against the Bulls and has been shooting the ball well ever since. But like that's why I wanted to write about him before the season started because so much of what he does isn't necessarily scripted. Like he's just so good at knowing how to respace the floor around his teammates. And then in addition, like when the offense starts to stall, and I gave Tyrese credit for this, but some of it goes to Buddy as well. Like I call it a reignition screen. It's just a ghost screen, but like just you know, Tyrese has a switch, so he just brushes along that guy just to create a little bit of hesitation. And you could see that with Kevin Durant last night. Like Buddy or Chris is just, you know, running on a straight line or on a diagonal as if you're, you know, dissecting a circle in math. And it, it just creates a little bit of a hesitation to be able to get those shots off. And he he's very active. Like, it would be very easy. Like I think buddy has this reputation where, you know, over the past that he, you know, is a guy that chucks shots or maybe takes bad shots, but like, he's also very active and stuff where he's not, he shouldn't anticipate to get the ball and he moves in a way that helps his teammates be able to get that. And then also like, I am so stymied, the the wizard's defensive plan. I mean, when we were on the last podcast, I talked about how, you know, one of the few times where the defense looked viable over the first handful of games was when they played the Wizards and they cross-matched and put either Terry Taylor or O'Shea on Kristaps Przingis and then put whichever center was on the floor, Goga or Isaiah Jackson on like Rui Hashimura or whichever, you know, Denny, whichever, you know, lower usage wing was out there. And then Neesmith was very good about scramming out the mismatches if, if, Perzingis got a switch. So, from the very tip of that game the other night, Friday night, they did not put Miles on Perzingis. They put Miles on Denny Ovdia, let him sag off. And I thought that was great for Miles mm-hmm. and allowed him to stay low, really helped him with his block rate. But Buddy Heald was the primary defender on Christoph's <laughs> Perzingis. Like, that is the most disrespectful thing. And yet, it, it worked pretty well. It was, like, it I was, mean,
0: yeah. When they came him out. up. Like, I just thought, and this is not meant as a slight to, to Christoph's, but I did find it rather. I think it should
1: be a slight slight to to Chris Dobbs. I absolutely think it should Oh be. no, like
0: it is. I mean I mean what I'm about to say. Uh I just thought it was uh I found it very amusing that Rick Carlisle was not there while Christoph's Porzingis tried to uh tried to post up like the first seven possessions of the game. Um his post-up numbers are very bad this year. Again, uh, I was checking today because I was like, I want to make sure that I'm not Oh, and I think time.
1: it's, I think it's very, I mean, if we go back to the Clipper Mav series oh, or yeah. Carlisle's last season, I mean, there was times where they were checking Perzingis in that series with Terrence Mann. That's effectively why Rick Carlisle was like, okay, we're just going to put Perzingis in the corner and let him, you know, per- perhaps cut in certain circumstances. But I mean, it really marginalized him. And I think that's yeah. why they do this because, They've done this, I mean, when they went to Dallas last year at the back end of the season, they had Justin Holiday as Kristaps Porzingis' primary and put Sabonis on Maxi Kleba. Um, that's harder to do because obviously Maxie's a better shooter than what you can do when it's, you know, Miles defending Denny or, or Rui. And, and obviously Miles is a better weak side defender as well, but mm-hmm. um, they do this every time. So clearly Rick Carlisle knows his uh ex-player pretty well. And just <laughs> yeah. and just watching them, like, I mean, and Neesmith did it too in the prior games, but just watching they're, they're pushing his pickup point clear outside the lane. And he's just not, I mean, his center of gravity is so high. It's it's hard for him to get leverage in those types of situations, but um, that's why the d de- I, I truly believe that's why the defense looked i I used better in some way air quotes but like yeah. more viable in that game than the others because that you know allowed them to have more weak side uh help right around the basket at all times but mm-hmm. anyways that that was my buddy chatter if you're still thinking about I enjoy uh,
0: it i I'm ready to go I have okay I mean I'm starting Benedict Matherin. Um, okay, it's like I mean, it feels obvious, um, but I just don't like how else else am I supposed to go with this? I thought, um, obviously, these last four games, which can I just say again, it's wild that we're seven games in the season already. It like that, that doesn't sound like a lot, but just compared to how long it followed, like we were waiting for games to get here and we're already a decent chunk in it, feels weird. Um, I know they had a ton of games like going on in, in the opening two weeks, but still, um. I, it was funny because this, like, last week of basketball was not Benedict's best, um, like, just in terms of pure shooting. You know, like, he was so good in those first three games, it felt like he was never going to miss. Um, and then really struggled a little bit uh, from from deep, particularly in the first three games, then uncorked yesterday against Brooklyn. Um, but I honestly... <laughs> Was just really impressed with his ability to still find ways to be active, still find ways to be a cutter, still be an impactful player. Obviously not the defense, but that's you know another story. Um I mean it just I think it all just comes back to the confidence aspect, but um, and this is again, this is not meant as like slander towards Miles Turner, but just it is kind of awesome to see a player who, even if they are struggling to not necessarily find a way to assert themselves, they keep trying until they do find something i don't know maybe that's if it sounds too reductionist but is that does that makes sense
1: yeah, I mean, Benedict was absurd in the first half against Brooklyn last night. Sometimes I watch him. I'm just like, what am I watching? Like, I mean, he made six threes. And and again, like we can probably get into it. Do you want to talk about the the three-point shooting against the Brooklyn Nets? Just yes. to contextualize it a little bit. So, yes, the Pacers did make 23 threes. That's incredible shot making. You have to make the shots. I'm not going to take anything away from that. But when Tyrese Halliburton starts three of three from deep and the Pacers have already drained nine threes and I watch Kevin Durant not close out to him in transition and not even put a hand up and stand six feet away with both of his arms down. Like that kind of typifies what the Brooklyn Nets defense was last night. So I did go through and count. Um, Do you want to take a guess of the 23 made threes that the Pacers made? How many of them required, like were preceded by a paint touch as in either, you know, a guard dribbled and got two feet in the paint and sprayed out, or they threw it to a big, like in a post up and, you know, Isaiah Jackson threw it out. Like how many threes do you think, were paint-touch threes of the 23?
0: Uh, Well, because I just watched that game, it feels like it had to be more than half.
1: It actually was not. 14 oh, wow. of them did not require a paint touch. Now, some of that was like, you know, maybe Goga's outside, right outside the paint and split action and th- throwing it to Chris off movement. Some of it was in transition because the tran- Brooklyn's transition defense was so friggin' terrible that, like, they could just throw it ahead to Buddy or Matherin or whoever it was, and there, there was not going to be anybody within their feet, and then some of it was high pick and roll, like hitting the switch pocket where they didn't even need to get into the paint because the Nets were so disconnected in some of their switching, but I mean that, that in itself, like there was nine paint touch threes, which is great. But the fact that there was 14 that weren't like, that's just so bad from the Nets. Like they're not even have, they're not even getting put into rotation and they were giving that up. So um, I do think that there was quite a bit of what happened for the Pacers last night. A lot of guys played well. I do think a lot of it had to do with exactly how bad the Nets defense was so many times where there was two people on the ball, Two people on the roller on a switch, just zero communication in certain aspects. I don't really know what the deal with Ben Simmons is. It almost makes me a little bit sad to watch him right now. Yeah, Like, I mean, I know what his offensive struggles have always been, but watching him defensively, and I don't really know what I expected when he didn't play for a year and had the offseason back procedure, but like, watching him defend in the pick and roll when Ijax was the screener he was so lost on some of those possessions like just positionally and then also like just giving up pretty easy drives a couple times to Halliburton when he was defending out on the point of attack so um all of that factored that being said back to matherin i mean the guy had 22 points at halftime on what eight shots i mean he had already gotten to the line i don't know how many times so um, I was very curious because you're saying that like, yeah, he didn't shoot the ball well against Chicago or Washington. Mm-hmm. What I think he was like three of 11 and four of 11, but he's still getting to the free throw line. Mm-hmm. So when I looked up on Synergy, just so everybody can put this into a little bit of context. If you look at the shooting foul rate of people in spot up situations who have averaged at least four spot up possessions per game, which is his volume. There's 31 players who have averaged at least four spot up possessions per game. None of them have drawn fouls more frequently on their share of possessions than Benedict Matherin has. Um, and then in transition, um, anybody who's averaged at least three transition per game possessions per game, which is also his volume, here's the list of people who have drawn fouls more frequently in transition on that volume than Benedict Matherin, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Pascal Siakam, and he's nipping on the heels of Pascal Siakam, like. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's cases where he might not hit all the shots, and I do think that I would probably take a few of the shots back that he took against mm-hmm. the Wizards. We'll and I'd probably I would probably take a few of the shots back from the second half against the Brooklyn Nets where, you know, who can blame him when you're seeing everything go through the rim and you're getting to the line like you are. And, and probably a couple of them should have been called as fouls, if we're being honest. Like, he probably could have got to the line even more times and he already had attempted 10 free throws. Um, but, you know, he's just going to find a way. Like, the guy just... It sounds very cliche and reductive, but he knows how to score. And even if he doesn't, you know, have the best shooting night, he's he's still going to find ways to mitigate that. So yeah, just a pleasure. It's very hard not to just talk exclusively about Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin, but I mean, that means the Pacers are in a very good position right now if that's yeah. how we feel.
0: I, I just got to say, I have, I have beef. I have beef. I have not been selected or announced as the, as the Matherin only podcast <laughs> co-host and I just, there's agrees. a lot of
1: people who have beef with me about this. I did not bring it up. <laughs> yeah. Keith Parrish from Fast Break Breakfast brought it up, and that's why I asked him who uh-huh. would be my co-host. I didn't know that he was intending to be the co-host. Um, and then a couple other people actually reached out and were like, Hey, I would do this. Um, my friend Samson Folk up in Canada said that you know, probably should ask a Canadian. So
0: Hey, I, I would listen to a pot with you and Samson. He's shout out to Samson, he does awesome stuff at Rappers Republic. Um you want to go to our subs? Uh,
1: was there any other? Oh, I think what we probably should bring up because we didn't talk about it. Miles' second game of the year: twenty-seven points, ten rebounds. Oh, yes. um, I don't remember the how Wizards. many. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how many blocks he. I think he had four blocks. I don't have the block number in front of me. But um what was your impression of Miles' game against the Wizards? I mean, it seems as though when he's in Washington DC for his second game of a year, he has a big game.
0: Just play every Miles game in Washington. I'm um, thinking. No, I thought it I mean i don't I don't have anything like crazy to add to it like i I thought it was I mean kind of similar to what he did in Washington the last year. I felt that he was pretty active um i mean i I don't know Would you agree with me or no?
1: I mean, I think there was a little bit more tangibleness to it yeah. than a year ago because like he was being guarded by Trez a year ago, and I remember I watched all that back That's and like fair. the man was not being guarded. Like, that entire game, like, even in the fourth quarter, they're running a double drag, and Kyle Kuzma is going to Sabonis and not Miles. Um And there was still some of that, where, like, Jalen Smith was the roller and Miles was the popper, and they were going with Jalen. So, I mean, there were still definitely moments where he wasn't being guarded. He, he hit shots, but there – I felt like when he did have the switches against the Smalls, whether that was Johnny Davis – I'm trying to think who else he had – like, he was at least active and like, okay, I'm going to go crunch that guy. Yeah. Like they didn't always, it didn't always end up in points for him, but that is how he drew some of the fouls. Like just being physical there and drawing fouls away from the ball that sent him to the line. I think he attempted 10 free throws. Yes. Um, not all of that was him forcing the issue or like on shot attempts. Some of it was like around the glass or like what I just mentioned there. So, I mean, I don't want to say it was noisy, but like he still got to the line 10 times Um, and had the 10 rebounds. So There's that. I mean, he, he had a very rough game in the first game against Chicago, I felt on both ends of the floor. So it was really good to see him bounce back like that. And, you know, also like, you know, if the Lakers want to watch tape of only, you know, what Buddy has done the last three games and just only that game against the Wizards, you know, maybe they, maybe they should consider that. I did make a joke on Twitter and I was glad because nobody, nobody yelled at me. I was like, well, the Pacers might have to take one of these offers from the Lakers or else they might not be able to out tank the Lakers.
0: (laughs) It's true, honestly. Um, I never want to think frankly, I think uh you know me. I love basketball of any all shapes and varieties. That Chicago games I I never want to think about that game again, to be honest. It was not fun to watch. Um but yeah, I agree. Like even just selfishly, like getting into I, I thought Miles played pretty well defensively against Washington, especially oh, yeah. I mean, compared to to the the Bulls game. Um and it's just and some fun. like of, I know that. Washington. Was like I
1: like some of it was schematics. Like I said, yeah. like just being able to let him stay at the rim. Yeah, this is why some of the I've wanted to see them do more with like the Romer Bigs last year and this year because you know if you don't have to get put into space against the pick and pop, it lets him be able to do what he does best. I thought that was smart by Lloyd Pearson, whoever else came up with that. But anyways, yeah. continue. Sorry, interrupt. No, you're
0: good. I really like that too, and it was just. It was just fun to to get to watch him play defense at a high level again. I've always loved Mm -hmm. watching him play defense. I feel like that's how I first like really fell in love with trying to understand, understand the game deeper. So it was just, you know, selfishly a little bit fun to watch on my end.
1: Oh, Um, another, another player that we should bring up here. Isaiah Jackson, good game against the Brooklyn Nets. Yes. Um, 18 points. uh, I think, I mean, close to five or four blocks and assists. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I shared a video that I've been piecing together. Um, he's really starting to show some passing chops. It's coming along little by little. Um, and and some of that gets unveiled a little bit easier because when you play with Tyrese Halliburton and he's consistently drawing two to the ball, it makes it a little bit easier for you to make short roll reads. And it's good that Tyrese Halliburton's a guy who can make short roll passes, but Ijax mm-hmm. is finding the opposite corner. He had some like nice one-handed, no look like to Jalen cutting out of the corner. The there one a to, few times... to Benedict
0: with like yeah. a minute left in the fourth. Oh my God. That was awesome.
1: Yeah, like he's posting or he's in the short corner and he's finding like little close reads to Benedict cutting from the 45, Um, like a lot of different reads, like even in Philadelphia, he was in transition and Tyrese threw it to him like in stride and he was about ready to pick up a charge and he made a pass on the move to I think it was Buddy fading to the corner um so again like and and another one out of the high post when they ran split cut stuff like there was stuff against brooklyn where it's like what are you doing brooklyn Nets? like this is awful defense but he still had to recognize it and find the open guy and like this isn't necessarily stuff i mean you could see it a little bit at kentucky i know the two of us talked about it when they drafted him that like hey there's actually some you know viable short roll flashes here that could be something but we didn't really see it last year but we're starting to see it a little bit now and like he he like like Miles did in Chicago, didn't play great against Washington. I thought that there was some quiet things that he did on defense that were pretty decent where like he absorbed a bump from Daniel Gafford and didn't bounce off like a rubber yeah. ball and then stayed on the floor through the pump fake and then defended. Like that kind of went under the radar because offensively like he only attempted three shots and he had more fouls than shot attempts and like had an overall kind of rough game but really bounced back on the second night of the back-to-back against Brooklyn and I had somebody like send me a tweet after I don't really know why (laughs) to be honest with you but they're like thinking that Goga should have been getting all of Isaiah Jackson's minutes or that he should be moving forward and like thinking Isaiah Jackson has zero upside and like I still don't fully know what Isaiah Jackson is for this team or what he will be for this team the next time they're, you know, a contender status, but I certainly don't think he has zero upside. And I think that, you know, what he's showing with some of the passing reads shows what else in different spots that they could potentially put him in.
0: I agree. I think it's, it's, that's something I actually want to hit on. I felt like um I was talking to Sam Vecini, host post the game theory podcast where the athletic um shoot probably two weeks ago about Ijax. And I think I was too, harsh in, in talking about him because like like we talked about when he first got drafted and just a bunch last year like he's at saying project has a very bad connotation to it but like he was very clearly like a a super raw prospect for what the idea of him could be and I think uh I still am not sure like I, I feel like I'm in the same boat as you I still am not sure how to view him if if the jump jump shot really doesn't develop out um like it was cool to see him take some but it did not look amazing other than he had like the one stop and pop right around the free throw line but other, i think he took like two others and they didn't look awesome in this, these past four games Granted, well he took the
1: one where play. he looked down at his feet and yeah. they weren't behind the line but yet he still shot it it was yes. it was very perplexing it was kind
0: of bizarre um well yeah like point being like i i think that was there wasn't like I, obviously i think yesterday was loud and in, in like talking about the passing stuff um but just overall in these these past four games i felt like those were my overwhelming notes going back and watching these games I was like he just felt a little bit more comfortable in quite a few different areas and I felt that was substantial um and just as another side on top of that not to keep going but I think especially with Benedict like granted it's been seven games but I'm pretty comfortable saying that I'm kind of ready to throw my evaluation out the door from what I thought he was going to be watching him as much as I did at Arizona and even playing with the Canadian team, playing his freshman year, like throwing out the doors the wrong way. Like obviously still like same archetype type dude. But like, I just think that I'm about having my mind more open in general about how things could go because not that I think that's going to be the norm for every prospect, but um, I don't know. I, I think that there's something to it just because I, I was talking about this with another friend today, like just texting back and forth because we were Critical sounds like too much, but um, like we both were like, not like we understood the math room pick at six, but um, thought that there were other options that maybe made more sense and clearly no uh, right now. Um, So I don't know. It's just something that I'm trying to toy with and and understand more from like a player development and scouting lens that um, is interesting, especially like as we kind of shift towards not that we're strictly like a player development and scouting pod, but that that's a lot of what we're kind of doing right now and watching these guys develop and grow.
1: Yeah, I mean, people can go back and look at our stock up, stock down. I certainly won't hide from anything that we said on the podcast or what we said there. I mean, I was telling somebody this yesterday, I think, where I said, you know, I, I was confident that's who they were going to take. I mean, I remember us being off air and I was like, this is the most Rick Carlisle player. Like, that's definitely like he fits the offense so well. And I thought that he fit Tyrese really well. Um, I didn't think that there was going to be, I mean, they're still not starting together, but I felt like that could be, you know, meshing pretty well from the beginning. My biggest concern with him was some of the shot selection stuff. And thinking that he needed to be put in positions where he would constantly have his defender trailing, which is basically what the Pacers were doing. But I would be lying to everyone if I said I thought he would look like what he's thought what he's looked like through these first seven games. Like I thought he would be a good fit for the team, and I thought that given where everyone else was selected ahead of him, that that was what pick that they should make. But um, I was not expecting to see like what we saw in the third quarter when I wrote the piece about. Tyrese and Benedict against Detroit the stuff he was doing there if you would have asked me hey Caitlin do you think in like his fourth game of the year that he's going to be you know Scoring 27 or more points and X amount of his first eight games and also be like making ISO threes and stuff like, no, no, I did not foresee that. So um, I will happily carry that L. I hope he continues to prove me wrong on that front. I mean, I hope everybody that that's one thing I will say on a side. I hope all of the Pacers prove me wrong on these things. If I say stuff about, you know, evaluation, like talking about Jalen Smith and attacking closeouts and other stuff. You know, I would like to have egg on my face when people play better than what I expect them to, because that just means it's going to be a way more fun team for me to cover. So, yeah, um, great on that. But I will we, say, I,
0: I just, I'd, I'd rather not have egg on my face. Um, just texture wise, that doesn't sound true. Fun, true. But yeah. Um,
1: but our subs, <laughs> our subs. We've, we, I. Nobody can say that we were an overly negative podcast here because we've spent a long time talking about happy pacer topics. So, sub, what do you got?
0: Um. So this is me being for, I want I'm going to use sub as like a cautiously optimistic but not ready to be like fully in on type thing. Um I'm going to sub Aaron e. Smith. I like obviously did not play against Brooklyn yesterday but um I continue to just like really uh, maybe I'm rose colored glasses because of how bad most of the perimeter defense tends to be but I've enjoyed what he brings defensively. I thought um As much as anybody could, I thought that he played James Harden decently well for the minutes he had to play against him. Um, I mean, he's getting assigned the most difficult matchups, and I think that he's done a a decent job uh, just given what his tools are and um, what the defense is as a whole. Um, And then offensively, again, the drives are an adventure, but I continue to be like, okay, I kind of see it. Like it's not – It hasn't been perfect by any stretch, but especially in that Washington game, like I thought he played pretty well. Um, I still want to like figuring out what happens, uh, you know, with just his decision-making overall, I think really needs to improve still. But I do think there are some flashes of of promise there that I wasn't super sold on before the season started. So I've enjoyed that with him attacking closeouts.
1: I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm quite there yet. Well, that's um, this is why I haven't sub. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's sure. that's a good one to put there because, I mean, like when I mean not a game from this week, but like when they're in San Antonio and and all he needs to do against the one three one zone is attack the closeout and get the two on one, and he ends up sidestepping and and in, in my opinion the wrong direction and then shooting one off the side. Like that's a very you know allowed mistake, but there are times where you question like why are you attacking in that direction against the closeout and then. The stuff with his left hand is still going to have to come. Like if if he continues to be the starter at the small forward spot, I would be very surprised if eventually. Like I don't know how much game planning teams will necessarily do for him when you also have to you know consider Tyrese Halliburton and other people on the floor. It's not like Aaron Easme is a huge part of the offense, but I would shade him to go to his left every time. Mm-hmm. Um, in every situation because it's just a little bit dicey there. But, I mean, I've I've said many nice things. I think defensively, like you're saying, typically if stuff's going halfway decently or looks like people know what they're doing, it's probably because Aaron e. Smith's involved somewhere. So that's been nice to see because, I mean, I thought last year when I tried to watch some of the film back of him in Boston that, like, I don't know if it was just trying to overcompensate because he wasn't getting, you know, consistent minutes, but I felt like there was too many times where he'd be in crash mode or you know, would would be picking up fouls in situations where he was over-aggressive. And I think he's tamed some of that here early on in the season. But um, this kind of does, I mean, it, it doesn't completely, because he's not going to be part of it. But my sub, just to get your overall flashbulb thoughts, is the four-guard lineups.
0: Ah, oh, damn, you stole my other one. I was going to talk about this. Uh, yes, but sorry, I, didn't, I got excited.
1: So the four-guard lineups, for anybody that hasn't really noticed this, the Pacers are effectively playing... Any four of TJ McConnell, Tyrese Halliburton, Andrew Nemhard, um, Chris Duarte, and Benedict Matherin. So no knee smith, no O'Shea, no Terry Taylor. Like a lot of times this past week, especially starting out against Philadelphia in the fourth quarter, they're playing these four guard lineups with either Isaiah Jackson or Miles Turner. A couple times Goga's been out there. We're only talking about like 25 minutes for the entire season, but it is something that we saw against Philadelphia, we saw it against Chicago. Um, we saw it against Washington. They didn't really do it last night against Brooklyn in part because TJ McConnell wasn't available. And then also Aaron Neesmith wasn't available. So they kind of had to move different guys around. But um, I guess based on those games from this week, like what is your thought about playing these very tiny four guard lineups?
0: Um, It's not sustainable. Like, obviously I don't think that they can be a team that's playing a ton of four guard lineups in the future when they're, or I guess I shouldn't say that they can't, but I do think like there are obviously very real concerns about playing that small. Like they they like, I mean, it was this is this is why I was considering sub two, because I like what you bring up. Like there was some really intriguing stuff, just like the way that they were able to to dice up Philadelphia for sections, um, with their driving kick playing. It was, I think it was Duarte, Benedict, uh, Tyrese, and and Nemhard were out there on the court. Uh, with Ijax at the five it was either Ijax or Goga at the five I can't remember off the top of my head right now um, and I was like okay this is something that I'm interested to see like especially with what the roster is right now um, as a thing that happens for small stretches but um, defensively I do think it was kind of a, a bit of a disaster
1: see I'm a little bit different there because I think in really? part that that's almost why they were doing it against oh. the Sixers in the fourth quarter Strangely, it's going to sound strange, but like James Harden was on the bench for a little bit and so was Embiid, but they had so many problems in that game. Anytime that they were sending a double to Embiid or when they were shading over against James Harden rotating out of it, I felt Mm -hmm. so Nemhard, you said that about Neesmith. I actually think quietly probably the person who had the best moments if if you can call them that given what kind of game james harden had was probably nem hard in that fourth quarter um he had some pretty decent possessions against james forcing some you know step back twos or some very tough shots that james did make but the one benefit of it was is like pretty much any james harden was out there and this is something that we'll get to when we get to the sit but defensively what the, what the Pacers were attempting to do schematically is they were switching everything so like If Jalen Smith gets called up and he's switching out on an island against James, they were automatically putting basically a goalie at the nail to try to dissuade James from driving that switch. And in my opinion, that was making it very easy to make an advance pass. But um, when you have four guards out there and if you're going to be sinking into that degree and rotate out of it, I felt like they had a little bit more speed to be doing that versus, you know, there were a few possessions where it's like, okay, Ijax is at the nail and like Ijax is mobile, but is he going to be able to spring all the way out to contest, you know, Tobias Harris at three? Probably not. So, and it also gave the Sixers one less position to hunt. Like, you know, there's only one center now. It it was easier for the guards to be switching some of that stuff. So they did chip the lead down during, I mean, the lead was at most 20 points and whenever that guard lineup was out there, they chipped it down to, I believe eight before it then ballooned up again, when James kind of went on another scoring tirade. But um, yeah, I mean then offensively what you're saying is correct. Like you're just having more ball handlers that can play driving kick. I kind of get it. But then when they were in Chicago, this is why it's my sit because I think it has to be used very judiciously based on wh- who else is out mm-hmm. there and what strategically you're trying to achieve rather than just making it necessarily a regular part of your rotation. Because they matched those minutes up when Andre Drummond was out there, and that was kind of just disastrous. Like, yeah, he was diving to the basket, he was getting second chances around the rim, and like Miles was out there with them, but like he can't do be protecting the paint and be doing all of that and it, the, there was just no chance for them as taggers with Andre Drummond rolling downhill like he was so by the second half they didn't go back to that group they ended up playing Terry Taylor and then in Washington they played him as well for a little bit and it it was somewhat similar like I don't think that there was as many issues as what was going on with Andre Drummond but they were minus 5 in 8 minutes so um, the one article I wrote, I was very curious because offensively when that group's out there, a lot of times it's Benedict Mather and acting as the four. And that was really cool to watch that interaction with Rick Carlisle and for Benedict to get instructions like, hey, we're going to run this set that we always run. Benedict asking like, what type of read do I need to make? And you can see Rick telling him like, hey, you're going to be at the four, go over on the Iverson screen, slip it out to the corner. And then when you get the skip, you know, he wasn't defended by a four in that situation, but there was going to be enough shift on the, on the uh, defense because Tyrese was drawing two to the ball. And because they were pulling over on Ijax at the roll, that, that was going to give him all types of space to attack from that weak side corner. So that was really why I wanted to write that article. And that's, that's in part why I like watching these units because it gives Benedict another chance to be doing what he does off the dribble and spot up situations, potentially against bigger force. Um, if they guard him in those situations, I just think that they have to be really careful with how and why they're mm-hmm. using it and they didn't use it against Brooklyn. But right now they are a positive on the season. It's only 23 minutes, but they're plus six and 23 minutes. But we did see a lot of that this week, which has meant that Terry Taylor and O'Shea um, not really playing, which is another thing that we can discuss if you want to.
0: Well, that was my sit. My sit is Terry Taylor and O'Shea not playing.
1: Yeah. That was a little bit strange last night in Brooklyn, if we're being honest.
0: Yeah. I didn't really like, I mean, Oh, what? O'Shea played, I think, three minutes yesterday, but then DNP the other two games. Um,
1: Terry played 13 seconds against the Brooklyn Nets, which was odd because they brought Terry in at the end of the first quarter and I think took Goga out for like a defensive stand. And Terry wasn't really involved in the action, so he didn't make a mistake. And then the second quarter came and they just put Goga right back in and then Terry never saw action the rest of the game. O'Shea, I think, played like what you're saying, like the last two and a half minutes of the second quarter. And I don't think O'Shea's had great minutes when he's been playing, to be honest with you, but like, obviously his situation and and his place in the rotation is very tenuous after having been a starter at the back end of last season. And that whole situation has kind of been strange without having been present at training camp to know exactly what happened here. And they clearly want to get Andrew Nemhard and other guys' minutes, which has squeezed him. But to then see them play James Johnson for 14 minutes when you're not playing you played terry taylor 13 seconds and you played o'Shea Brissett three minutes like that's kind of where i draw the line in the sand like how what what is your thought process on james johnson playing in front of those two today's episode is brought to you by cars.com
0: As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better. Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy. Available at Participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh I mean, on one hand, like I think it is. I think I ought to wear this. I think it's tough because, like, I would imagine he didn't come here to just play no minutes. Like, but I mean, just, he hasn't been playing. He well, played yeah. against
1: the Spurs, and the rest of the time, yeah. he's just been on the bench.
0: It's a fair point. I, I,
1: I mean, I, I halfway wondered, like, is this in part a thing of like the Nets cut him last year, so we're gonna play him minutes against the team that cut him? Because like otherwise, I I tried to figure it out. Like, obviously, he does have a little bit more size, and maybe they wanted him out there to guard Kevin Durant. But like that was only half of his minutes. He was out there in minutes when let me see what lineup was out there. Um, for half the minutes that James Johnson played, the Nets were playing Patty Mills, Seth Curry, Yuda Watanabe, Joe Harris, and Nick Claxton. So like I don't really know why you have to have James Johnson out there when it's that lineup. Like I could have, I could have maybe talked myself into it if you were matching it all with like the Kevin Durant hybrid bench units. And you were just like, Hey, we have to have, we basically have no wing defenders. Aaron Neesmith isn't available. We need to play James Johnson's because we need to have more size, but like you were playing him when Kevin Durant wasn't even out there. And then like he's also he's an inch taller than O'Shea Brissett. And he's much, much older. So sorry. Like I, I'm I'm not I'm not feeling that particular rotation decision.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean I didn't I didn't really agree with it. Um I thought he did some okay things, but again, it's like Terry Taylor and O'Shea Brissett are just better. Um, and
1: they're also potentially part of the long-term future here. It, it's not me saying that you could never play James Johnson ever. I just want to see, like, you know, having a clear reason for doing it, well, I guess.
0: I, here's my question. Is O'Shea part of the long-term future? Because it doesn't feel like it right now.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. That's exactly, yes, that's fair. But, like, I guess I would say, given their ages have more I think that they. Yeah, I think that here. they should be. Um, yeah.
0: But, yeah. Yeah, that's what – so, I I'm, I mean, we're in locks. Of, I felt it was – it was just kind of murky and weird. I'm like, okay, this feels like O'Shea should be playing, um, or yeah. Terry again. Like it just, yeah, I don't, I don't love it, and it's just kind of what adds overall funkiness to having so many bigs on the roster. Like,
1: yeah, because I don't even know what's going. I mean, Daniel Tice is being listed with what knee soreness. I don't know, but like, yeah, <laughs> he hasn't done anything all year, so. I don't really know what that situation's about either, but
0: yeah, and it's like Goga's had really good, good, good moments, but it's just like how okay, how are we supposed to play? At least the way that they're looking at at guys, it's it's just it, it is hard to see how everybody's going to play and make it work. But yeah.
1: So it, what? So was your sit Terry Taylor and O'Shea not being part of the rotation?
0: Yes, because it made me sad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the O'Shea thing is kind of, I did have somebody like tag me in like a group tweet asking, um, I, I'm not saying this, whoever's listening. This is not what I'm saying. This is what the person tweeting said. Why does Rick Carlisle hate O'Shea Brissett? I don't think he hates O'Shea. And I do think that like when he when O'Shea is getting opportunities, he's not necessarily making a compelling case to keep him on the court. I think that he's been pushing things and certain circumstances and just kind of looks out of place, but it, it has been a little bit strange. Um to be honest, but I mean, I guess too, like you could have dressed Kendall Brown and given him a chance last night if you were concerned about size, you know, against Kevin Durant, not that you necessarily want to throw a rookie out there who hasn't played at all, but like, I guess I would have understood that a little bit more as well as what happened with the James Johnson minutes. And again, it's not even because he played poorly. It's just like, you know, again, what is the season about? I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah,
0: that was, no, sorry to cut to, yeah. to join him, but I felt like I was kind of in the same boat. Like I've just been kind of surprised that we had, like, not that I thought he was going to play loads, but I have been a little bit surprised that we haven't seen Kendall Brown at all.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Um, it's not a sit, but I do think we should touch on a little bit. Chris Duarte continues to struggle. Um it was nice to see him like eventually I got to see it cuz I mean something I'd like to sit the fact that the game got turned into poker for I don't know how long last night while I was Bally Sports is suddenly the NBA broadcast cuts and the poker games on and I have to wait until the Nets broadcast comes on so some of Chris I didn't get to see till this morning when I rewatched it but like he started 0 of 4 from the field and like I kind of tweeted like you know Matherin being Matherin's really you know being a nice distraction from whatever's going on with Chris because you know at this point it like last night it wasn't even about just not making shots like defensively it was just all kind of like this is going to sound harsh but like his first half of play was kind of cringe like it's I don't I don't know I don't know what's going on with the shot at this point that's why it was nice when he came out after halftime he was not the starter they started Benedict Matherin in his place to begin the third quarter. And then it was a while before he came in and he kind of got going on that out of bounds play where he comes to the ball side corner, made that three. And then the part that was really telling to me is Kevin Durant is shooting free throws in the third quarter. And underneath the basket, you you could see Chris before he walked out to be you know, outside the three-point line, like form shooting in the air. Mm-hmm. And then when Kevin Durant was shooting the free throws, you could see him behind the three-point line, like practicing his shot. And that just kind of leads me to believe that like the slump is something getting that's definitely, yeah, getting a bit to him. So it was, however, on the very next possession after he did that, that he made the very deep three um, against Brooklyn switch and then ended up making one more off of like split action with Goga. So maybe that will help get him going. But um, I'm I'm having trouble. I, I do think that the toe thing was an issue last week. I think that he did tweak that at the end of the Spurs game. I think that it did affect him the game after that. I don't know how much of that is factoring at all. How much of it's, you know, the way that Benedict Mathern has been playing and the fact that he's not making shots, but it seemed to be affecting other elements of his game last night. And I didn't know where you were at on the Chris Duarte front.
0: Uh, this is a good question. Uh, cause I feel like this one's hard. Like, I feel like to me, there's not really a ton that I can dive into like actually wise other than he's struggling. Like, um, I mean, I don't – I'm not trying to read too much into it, but do you – like, I mean, it's hard to feel like Benedict's playing this well while also being, you know, kind of – well, not kind of. I mean, they they are pretty much in the same position. Like, you can obviously play them together, but in terms of, you know, what the future of the team looks like, like, they want to get a big big forward that will play the three. Um, I mean, at least that's – that's the vision. It seems like I.
1: You would I mean, hope.
0: Yeah. Well. Yes. That's that's a whole other thing. But my my thing, like I don't know. I I feel like it would be very hard to be Chris Duarte. Start knowing that you're a little bit behind the curve because of an injury, and then see the guy who could potentially not that he's going to fully replace him, but you get what I'm saying. Like in terms of what the actual organizational hierarchy is. Like I mean, Benedict's come in and replaced him since moment one. Like that. I feel like that would be and, very. And difficult. that's the that's
1: thing, though, because he hasn't really the way that they're handling the rotation he has. And you and I are on the record. I am very indifferent about whether Benedict Matherin starts at this point or not. Yeah. Like in terms of Benedict Matherin's individual development, what they're doing is working. That being said, um, when I did preview pods this summer, I expected that Benedict Matherin would be the starter. When people yeah. asked me, mm-hmm. I was like, I think it's going to be Tyrese Benedict, buddy, Jalen and miles when the team is healthy. Um, part of me does wonder if it wouldn't have been better just to do that from the very beginning and just have Chris settled into the six man role. So he's not sensing somebody nipping at his heels. Um, and it's not because you don't want your teammates to succeed and play well. And there are moments when like the four guard lineups when they're all out there, but, um, I don't think Chris gets used quite the same way as Benedict and you really can't use him the same way as Benedict Mm -hmm. because he's not going to get downhill in the same situations, but, um, Yeah, I mean, watching part of that was kind of rough through three quarters. I hope that him seeing the ball go through the hoop can can change some stuff that's going on for him. But um, I I felt that it extended to areas beyond just his shot last night. Um, so that, that kind of does act as a bridge for my sit, which is we do have to talk about the defense, which currently ranks 27th in the NBA. Um, and it's not – I'm not just going to sit here and harp on, you know, we know what the roster – issues are and how that's going to make things harder on them this season in terms of not having a lot of wings but here's what I'll say here's the moments that I will point out when you're in Chicago and you have four players with at least one foot in the paint and you give up a weak side cut and not a single person moves and then Rick Carlisle like I wouldn't call it a rage timeout but I mean he rightfully so calls a timeout like you know Hey, I know
0: the exact maybe play defense like
1: that's that's just absurd. Then there's one in Washington where like they're bringing Buddy over like if, if they feel like they have they're up against, you know, an elite level score, whether it's James Harden or Bradley Beal or whoever it is, they're bringing guys clear off their other defenders and just like, in this case, Buddy's kind of playing low at the block with Bradley doing a ISO on the side of the floor. And he beats whoever it was. I think it was Neesmith. And then Buddy's there and like he doesn't he doesn't even react. Like he kind of just backs up when Kyle Kuzma comes across behind him. And there's just so many situations where I watch them and it's like you're watching statues almost. Yeah. It's like they think their bodies being in a specific spot is all it's gonna take to get the stop. Like, well, we're all standing in the paint when this weak side cut happens, but there's like no live reaction time it's it's very strange and those are the types of moments that I think it's fair to point out especially during a rebuild because that's not building habits like and then also like just broader speaking when I was talking about what they were doing against James Harden and bringing somebody over from the nail when they are playing these four guard lineups like a possession I would also bring out or point out is like Chris Duarte and and Goga are defending a pick and roll against the Wizards TJ McConnell comes all the way over to the nail as they're prone to do. And the ball handler dribbles back. Chris is behind the play and you know, Chris ends up being late. He's just kind of playing from behind. I don't know what he what exactly his plan is, but it takes him too long to veer into Daniel Gafford and they give up a lob. But the reality is is that even if Chris is on time, he's probably not breaking up a lob to Daniel Gafford. So then my question becomes like the whole reason you would next something is so that to prevent having to late switch it, which is what they had to do there. So like if you're going to bring TJ McConnell all the way over anyways, and I don't know if they're just giving guys the freedom to make reads on how far over they're helping, but like if you're going to bring him clear to the nail and to the ball, just switch it and let Chris run to and peel off to the wing. That way, Goga can stay home on Daniel Gafford. You're not giving up that size mismatch and you can still cover the above the break three. Like they got to, there has to be an alteration. And how they're defending that particular spot on the floor, because right now, like an above the break three point opponent frequency, they ranked 14th, so they're not giving up a ton, but opponents are shooting over 40% on that. And you can't completely control three point percentage, but I do think that there's a pretty sound reason for why that's happening. Like when it's just one advanced pass to a guy standing at the wing to be able to hit a shot, that's not going to cut it. And so you either like sometimes when Nate Bjorkman was coaching, they'd bring the guy up from the corner. Like if they went heavy at the nail, they'd bring Victor Oladipo up to the wing and then they would exit out, which is typically what you do on the weak side. But then the guy from the nail would X out to the corner. They're either going to have to do that or they're going to have to start nexting and peel switching it or something. Because if they feel that strongly that, hey, we have to have a body here because our on ball defense isn't good. We have to have a body to act as a paint deterrent. Which, to be honest, sometimes I don't get why they're doing it. I mean, they're also doing this scheme when Miles Turner's out there. Like, can we not trust Miles Turner to be a paint deterrent that we have to put a whole nother body... um. In the line there. So like, I'm definitely sitting this there. There has to be an adjustment because even if they're not giving up a wide open three, sometimes, you know, because they're at the nail, the guy's able to cut right behind them. And the thing against James Harden was it wasn't doing anything like, yeah, he necessarily wasn't driving, but he's just making one pass to George and Yang or Mm -hmm. one pass to Tobias Harris. And now it's threes or like I guess if I'm bringing that defender that far over, then at that point, just trap him. You might at least get a turnover. Like, it's just like a passive body standing there. I don't know. Um, I'll probably be writing that at some point because I've saved a million clips explaining what this problem is. Hopefully people are able to understand what I was communicating there, but um, definitely sitting that because I, I don't fully understand why it's a thing.
0: Yeah, the defenses have been terrible. Um, like, there's not really... Uh... I mean not that like, like we've talked about not that that they're supposed to be amazing but also it was just funny because um did you listen to the Bulls broadcast by chance during that no. game? Oh okay. Well, Stacy King who I do always enjoy listening to Stacey King. I don't very often agree with everything he's saying but like particularly in this one like he kept talking about how they this team plays hard in terms of talking about the Pacers like are we watching this game? Like I thought that like Loki, the defensive effort I thought was just shit. Like
1: Oh, yeah, like that weak side possession. That's totally why Rick called that timeout. Yeah, just, I mean, there's no reaction there.
0: Exactly, because like he I mean, it was actually ironically, I think it was like about 30 seconds before that timeout got called that he was talking about how they play hard. And I was like, not today. Uh, this is not that game to to have this talking point. So, yeah, um, I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask you just in general, I mean. We've talked about this on here about. And just in passing, too, about Benedict's defense not being good, but how bad would you consider Benedict's defense right now?
1: Oh, I think it's definitely going under the radar. I mean, even last night at Brooklyn, like there's possessions where like Ben Simmons is running a dribble handoff and he doesn't go under the handoff. He doesn't go over the handoff. He doesn't really communicate a switch. He just stands there and like hugs Ben Simmons. Yeah. And then IJAX is all the way back, giving up a wide open three. I don't remember if it was Patty Mills or who. Like you can tell that they don't his off ball screen navigation, like through complex actions, like if you're doing Chicago pinned down into a handoff, like that's pretty much death. Like he's going to get spun out. He's going to get spun out and he's not going to get back into play. Um, Sometimes when they're switching and he's on the ball, he can have some decent stands just, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to contain in those situations. But um, yeah, his off ball screen navigation. And then some of that, I will say, they seem to be a team that wants to top lock a lot against shooters and there's times where he positions his body to top lock and that's not his fault when they're giving up a weak side cut and nobody comes over there and does that. So that probably gets pinned on him wrongly when it shouldn't, but like when he's actually chasing over and trailing in some of these handoff situations, yeah, it's, it's been pretty poor. Um, That'll be something that he's definitely going to have to work on. And while, I mean, clearly all the amazing things that he doesn't discount any of the amazing things he's done on offense, but yeah, defensively, there's a lot of work to be done yeah and in scramble situations as well because like if they're in transition and he has to make a quick read about where he 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 needs to go based on where his teammates are there's going to be like a one or two second lag um a lot of the time in those in that as well so um yeah
0: yeah um is there anything else you want to hit on with the defense
1: Um. No, just that, like, I mean, I guess I don't fully know still. I mean, it it feels to me defensively that they're mostly just trying to be a team. And maybe we'll see the more that Miles is healthy. And once he gets fully reacclimated, that they're just mostly a team that's going to react a lot to what their opponent is doing. I mean, just like Washington, like they did that scheme because Porzingis is a pop threat. It was smart. I think that their defense looked better in that game for the most part. But um, I still don't fully know what their defensive identity is or what exactly they're trying to accomplish, So um they they switch up a lot of what they're doing defensively quite often I mean just like I said that about James Johnson and wondering if they were playing him because of Kevin Durant I think in part they were even though you know I don't completely understand his minutes when Kevin Durant wasn't out there but like you know they'll do like hedge and a show and recover. Like if, if James Johnson and Chris Duarte were involved in the same action with Kevin Durant, like they were having Chris show so that James could stay on Kevin Durant. They were doing some of that in Chicago as well, where Chris was having to be up above the level show quick and then get back to his guy um, to try to prevent DeRozan from turning the corner. So like their pick and roll coverage is very, quite a bit. And like, I'm not necessarily opposed to that. I think it makes sense with the types of personnel that you're using, but, Because that they switch it up as much as they do, it seems like guys aren't always on the same page. I think that their communication Mm -hmm. definitely needs to get better um, from what we've seen so far. But I haven't really gone too far into the defense yet because, like I said, without seeing with Miles Turner only playing one game, I don't fully know what their vision is there yet. So um, I don't have too many thoughts.
0: Yeah. Well, oh, did you, I think that wraps us up for star subset, correct? Unless does. you don't hit anything else.
1: No, it does. But we do have a fun segment planned here. For...
0: Yeah, we do. What is that segment?
1: So tomorrow, as we said, or, or if you're listening to this and we release it on Halloween, it's Halloween. So we thought it would be fun today to do a Halloween candy draft. So we're each going to draft five types of candy. And then everybody can let us know who, who has the better, uh, starting lineup but I told Mark before we started that I thought it was only fair that we remove Reese's peanut butter cups from the lineup because whoever gets those is just going to win. And that's, that's not very fun. Reese's are basically the Vic, the Victor Veminyama of uh, candy. So we're going to leave those off the board and we'll each pick five and we'll see who does better.
0: Well, I'll let you go first. Do you want to go first?
1: Oh, you're just gonna let me? Okay. Well, yeah,
0: I think I I like picking second because then I at least get to know what what happened first. And I, I mean, I,
1: I some of mine are fairly niche because I I did think this out. I do have a big board yeah. planned.
0: Oh, you it, you? Wow. Okay.
1: I have a big board planned, Mark.
0: Because <laughs> I, 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 I I want. Now.
1: I want to be true to myself, but I also want to win. I also want people to think, wow, she made really good picks here. So, like, I know some of the candies that we've talked about in the past. So, I feel like my first one, I really do love these, but I'm afraid you're going to take them. That's in part why I'm going to snatch them now. So, with the first pick in the 2022 Indy Cornrows Halloween Candy Draft, I am taking Sour Patch Kids.
0: Oh, that's fine with me.
1: Okay. Well, I want them. Well, I want them in my starting lineup. That's who I'm taking because I was afraid that at some point in this draft that you would take them. So, well, Sour Patch Kids are are number one on my board here.
0: Sour Patch Kids are like a high usage combo guard on a bad team for me, so I'm I'm fine with that.
1: They're um, they're easily the best fruit candy. Top
0: exactly, fruit candy's bad. No. Um, oh. <laughs> I have actually my biggest take is that all candy outside chocolate is bad, but we don't have to start that now. Um well,
1: Skittles can burn in hellfire. So
0: yeah, yes. Okay, that's perfect. They're they're not getting drafted today. I hope that people recognize that. They're sitting in the green room for eternity. They're not getting eaten, they're not getting drafted. Screw Skittles. Um They yeah. are not
1: getting an Indie cornrose draft hat, I can tell you that.
0: <laughs> no, they're not. Uh, not a jersey, not a handshake from the commissioner um
1: who's the commissioner tom
0: <laughs> i guess so i didn't think about that it's a good point um i am this is this is tough because i i would take reese's here um i'm going to take peanut butter m ms not oh peanut no M&Ms. no, peanut no butter M&Ms. these are curses. amazing
1: yeah peanut those butter are, M&Ms are the best m ms like oh they're, easily the best M&Ms. they're so
0: good um, so yeah, I think this was a surprising pick, first overall. I mean, oh, no, second overall, it's surprising. But I'm trying to drum it up to make it sound like I'm winning, but yes, I'm taking peanut butter, butter, ms
1: That was next on my board. I just was fairly confident that you would take Sour Patch Kids, but I was going to take peanut butter, Ms. That, that, that hurts me a little bit. Um, so because I need a peanut butter thing and I think that these are actually quite good and better than the original type of this candy bar, I'm going to take Snickers peanut butter squares. Ooh, because I you've taken peanut butter M and M's, so I I need something peanut butter to keep track of, and Snickers peanut butter squares are better than Snickers themselves. So, um, I'm taking Snickers peanut butter squares.
0: I think this is a good selection. I like that. Is very good. Um,
1: it's a sleeper.
0: Yeah, no, I think that was a good choice. I honestly just really want to slander Andy right now, but I don't know if you're gonna pick it, so I don't want to be harsh before it happens. Whenever I think of, I'm going to do it. Whenever I think of Snickers, I low key, like, because I love Snickers, I just think about my dislike of Three Musketeers.
1: Oh, but Three Musketeers are awful. Anything yeah. that involves a lot of nougat, get that out of here. We don't need nougat. Yeah,
0: I don't like nougat either. Thank you. I'm glad that we're on the same page with this. Um, I'm going to take take five. Take I love take five.
1: five. I don't know.
0: I think take. Five. You could have
1: that. That you could have got that at the bottom of your board, Mark. You could have got that at number five. That's I, a bit of a reach. See,
0: I have a different draft strategy. I know what I want. I'm the get your guy drafter. You know, like okay. I don't care what pick it is. I'm gonna go take my guy. Um, except for Reese's. Reese's is different. That's just a whole different thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, take five is take five is wonderful. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. There's five things in it, but. It's amazing, like I think the texture is fantastic. I think the taste is fantastic. It's not passed out enough at Halloween, in my opinion. Pass out take five at your Halloween, except I, it's not fortunate for kids who have nut allergies, but they'll live. Um, pass this out at Halloween, it makes me happy.
1: This third one, I don't think that I mean, I'm just really upset that peanut butter MMs is off the board, but. You're not going to pick either of the ones that I have left, and they're really true to me, but I'm going to pick, and and people will have thoughts, but I'm taking it anyways, because I've discovered these during the Halloween season. Mm -hmm. Um, White chocolate Kit Kats.
0: Ooh, those are good. I wouldn't have thought of that, but I like those.
1: White chocolate Kit Kats have been in the stores a lot. They have skeletons on the wrappers. High quality. Like, I'm, I'm getting really good value at number three here with white chocolate Kit Kats. I've eaten a lot of those in the last month.
0: I had a Kit Kat today. I you want to hear a hot take? Let's hear it. Not that they're bad. I think Kit Kats are very good. But I don't think that they're as good as they get made out to be sometimes. Like, I don't think that they... The white chocolate
1: ones are... <laughs> a lot of people don't like white chocolate. They don't consider it chocolate. I get it. But... um I've recently discovered how good it can be in different formats, and I think that the white chocolate Kit Kats are better than the regular Kit Kats, personally.
0: Okay. I I don't mind that take, actually, now that I think about it. No, I, now, I, I do. I that. think
1: that, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about people if they just eat a Kit Kat without breaking it apart.
0: Oh, I do that.
1: You just eat, you just bite into it like you're... Yeah, like it's a chocolate bar. You do not, you don't break it apart in each, each, each section on its own?
0: Never. It's been oh been this, is this is criminal well, behavior
1: this is criminal behavior it's it
0: just like what if it came broken apart already you know like i feel like that would help in making that happen
1: no that's i don't know uh, you you make your third pick I, <laughs> I really can't move on from just eating a kit kat just taking a bite out of it well
0: i yeah that's fair that's fair but i i'm i'll stay stuck in my ways um what is my third pick this is there's like almost so many that it's hard to to know what to take because I don't want to leave with a poor roster. Uh man. I'm I don't think you're gonna take this one, but this is actually other than Reese's, this is my favorite candy, and I think I might get slanted for it, but I don't care. I'm taking Mr. Good Bar.
1: No! Oh, not the Mr. Good Bar. Mr. Goodbar was my next pick. Oh, really? Oh my yes. god.
0: Okay. Mr. Goodbar is like my favorite candy. It's uh, perfect. I used to always trade all of my candy for my sister's Mr. Goodbars when we were kids. Um it's,
1: it's incredibly underrated.
0: It's so good. Like and especially like that's to me Mr. Goodbar is the one where like if you put it in the fridge or the freezer for a little bit oh yeah. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Um yeah, I I love Mr. Goodbar.
1: I'm so upset that Mr. Goodbar, you took Peanut Butter M's and Mr. Goodbar. I didn't think there was any way you were picking Mr. Goodbar. That's what I was going to take with pick number three. And I'm like, he's not going to pick that. It's such you a niche candy bar.
0: It's so good. I can't believe more people should like it.
1: I mean, they did make for a while. They made Hershey bars with peanuts, which were virtually the same thing. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why Mr. Goodbar isn't in more checkout areas and whatnot. It's it's really a missed opportunity. Um, I guess now that you took that one, I'm just gonna take plain Hershey bar. Not is very it, exciting, but I
0: think it's just I love plain. It's
1: Hershey not bars. the Mr. Goodbar mark. Well,
0: it's not. Yeah, I'm trying to am trying to gas you up, but yeah, it's it's not the same. It's still good, but yeah, it's not the same.
1: It has a high floor, not yeah. not a high ceiling, but it, Hershey bar is a high floor player. I know what I'm going to get every night from it.
0: What I mean, what would you consider getting from it? What do you get out of it? What's the what's the value I mean, that I, Hershey's brings to you?
1: I know exactly what I'm going to get from it every night. It's going to be it's going to be satisfying. It's just not going to be as exciting as a Mr. Good Bar. It's not going to have the same texture and crunch that I'm looking for, and I don't like the Hershey bar with almonds as much as the Mr. Good Bar. So
0: yeah, I don't like Hershey bar, bars with almonds. I do. Okay, I like the dark chocolate Hershey bar with almonds, though.
1: Yeah, the only dark chocolate thing I like is Dove dark chocolates. That's the only one I like.
0: That's fair. I'm not like a huge dark chocolate fan, but I've gotten to the point where like part of the reason why I don't like candy is I, I'm i just like sweet is too much for me at times because I went like with this really long period in my life where I just didn't eat sweet stuff. So then I went for me. That's a sad period. It was an awful period. I, we don't have to talk about it. Yeah, that sucked. Um, but yeah, so now I'm just like, it's difficult to enjoy. Well, like I enjoy sweet things, but it's difficult to eat lots of it. Um, I'm prolonging what my pick is. Uh, I can tell you what my pick is not. My pick isn't Butterfinger. I no. don't like Butterfingers.
1: Butterfinger has no place here.
0: It just like, it's really tough the way it gets caught in your teeth. And it just isn't very good either um so it's not there um i'm trying to envision everything that i ask in in like the grocery store this is getting hard i'm about to just search candy on my phone i'm sorry this is not great podcasting on my end i literally said that we should talk about candy at the end and here i am unprepared unready I just I can't handle the pressure of the draft, Caitlin. All right,
1: do you have anybody to discuss this with in your war room?
0: <laughs> I see. Actually, I I tend to do it just like the Cavs, and I just have a uh, I left my draft board up in the background for everybody to see um, on social media. Ah. so the problem is everything's hard for me because I don't like sour stuff like i don't like sour candy i think most sour candy is bad here's here's another one i'm gonna go with that i think will get slandered i'm taking payday i like payday. no
1: not the payday <laughs> You're taking everything good
0: i love payday they uh, like, are good that was another thing that i always got from my friends uh from my friends and my sister because they didn't like payday i love payday i think payday is wonderful anything peanut peanut butter is just like the greatest thing that's ever happened. So yeah, I'm going payday.
1: No, payday is high value. That's actually what I was going to take with my last pick. Um, Because I almost, uh, here's how I did not spend my money wisely. Um, When I was in college, I had like an hour long break between two of my classes and Mm. they were all in the same building and there was like four vending machines. And I would always go get a payday out of the vending machine, which makes no sense, like why I didn't just go buy a bag of paydays that I could bring with me to college instead of spending like a dollar on a payday every day. I don't know, but there was like a three month span where I ate a payday like three days a week when I had that class. So um, paydays are pretty, pretty high value, I'd say. Um, so my last pick, this is kind of hard because like if it was if it was Easter candy, I know where I would go. I would go for something marshmallow because I like marshmallow Ooh, uh, eggs disagree. and whatnot. But do you those like Peeps? Are... No, no, no. Okay, I, yeah. I mean, nice. I think Peeps are fine. But oh, like, no. like I'm talking about like Hershey makes eggs with marshmallow in them or like at Christmas time. Um, Russell Stover makes uh, Santa's with marshmallow in them. And I actually really like those, but I don't think there's a Halloween version of that. So okay. like I I can't go with a Milky Way. I don't really like those. Um I do like caramel candy though. So I'm leaning I'm like I don't really like Starburst that much. I don't Same. I already have a fruit candy. I don't think I need to get Jolly Rancher here though. I I do kind of like a Jolly Rancher every now and again. Um and you just took Payday and my Mr. Good Bar. Like those were my low value grabs. You really messed up my board.
0: <laughs> Sorry about um,
1: it. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with Rolos. Because I do like caramel, mm-hmm. and I I can't do a payday. I I considered Crunch Bar here, but I think I'm gonna go Rolos because that does give me a caramel element.
0: Yeah, Rolos had a uh, had an undrafted grade for me, so you can enjoy those. I will not, um, but I'm glad you like them.
1: I mean, they're fine. It's they wouldn't have made it here if not for the things that you took.
0: Yeah. I I'm pretty pretty happy with how I have have had things on un, unwrap <laughs> um see I'm trying I'm getting too bougie now in my head because I almost went with Lindor chocolate nobody passes that out at Halloween.
1: Oh, I almost picked. I love the Lindor strawberry white chocolate truffles. Love them. They taste like a Scooter Crunch ice cream bar, just in a truffle form. I almost yeah. picked that, but I felt like it was too. It was too highbrow for this process, Mark. Yeah. Like that's not really a Halloween candy.
0: That's kind of what I'm thinking too. And I I saw another one, Cadbury caramels. Nobody passes those out at Halloween, but yeah, I that's love like them. Easter
1: candy more like. But they're still so good.
0: It's just. This is tough. I don't like Twix bars very much.
1: No, Twix are not very good.
0: Yeah, I just...
1: That's, like, my least favorite. One of my friends always loved Twix, so I'd have to buy them for him for his birthday, and I'm just not a fan.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go York Peppermint Patties.
1: Okay. I mean, I accept it. I think an Andy Mint is better, but...
0: I, yeah, I'm not really yeah. like a big chocolate mint person. I like as as you're aware from doing this podcast with me, I'm just not a big like mint person overall. But I really do. I, I've like turned on to York peppermint patties of late. They're refreshing. Yeah, like the last like year or two, I've been like, you know what? These kind of work. Like I don't love it, but I get the idea now, and I think that matters. Um, so yeah, I'll go with York peppermint patty just for like a nice little change up. a rotation type thing
1: i mean i'm gonna be honest with you i think that when people see these two boards we're gonna get slandered i don't think these are candies that other people really care about or want but But, it wouldn't
0: be us if we did it any other way but
1: i mean i think that people do need to realize that white chocolate kit Kats are better than regular kit Kats. snicker peanut butter squares are better than regular snickers the mr good bar is incredibly underrated the payday is a perfect college afternoon snack and you know I think that our top two gets peanut butter M Ms and Sour Patch Kids. I would eat those all the time. So,
0: yeah, I just don't like Sour Patch Kids.
1: They're fine. That's I mean. inaccurate. Those, I would be, I would love it if I got those as a kid in my trick or treat bag when I go home. I would be thrilled.
0: He's okay. I mean, I mean he, geez, I'm he. Jeez, I'm gender. This past week,
1: I even got some, or um, not this past week. A couple weeks ago, they've started making peach Sour Patch Kids and grape Sour Patch Kids. The grape was okay, but the peach was delicious. Peach those does ones.
0: sound really good. Actually, the
1: peach was good. Like they're better than those, you know, peachy pechos. They're like peach rings. No, the sour patch peach are better, and it's not really that close. So, I did toss um, around laffy taffy. I I kind of like laffy taffy sometimes. See, I probably could have gone with used
0: that. Used to be okay with it, but now I don't. And I used to really like. um... I, I used to be okay with nerds but like
1: i like the strawberry the pink nerds those are good it's
0: just it's a weird thing to say but like i struggle with the uh texture is the wrong we put it but like i just feel like i'm eating little pebbles and it's kind of whack you know
1: i'm just not here for anything that's going to get caught in my teeth so i don't want yeah. a butterfinger i don't like like those now and laters um I used to, as a kid, get runs all the time out of like machines. Like you know, you'd put a quarter in and you'd get like a handful of loose runs. But like those are terrible. I don't really. I have a lot of shame for that, for how many times I would get those at that like machines outside of Walmart and whatnot. But, um, anyways, to people that still lasted through this very long candy draft, where it seemed like we didn't like any candy, but we originally we eventually did pick five a piece. Let us know in the comments who won this draft um and why our picks were bad so
0: <laughs> i like you agree that i am worried to see what our reaction to what the reaction like this could look like but yes um we'll see how it plays out caitlin this was this was fun did you want to hit anything else
1: before we get out no i, I think my we're good
0: crack so bad but yeah
1: i think we're good ready to start up another week of pacer basketball beginning on monday we had sunday off <laughs> we look get to time. play the
0: brooklyn nets again
1: oh heck yeah and and i i mean one thing that we didn't bring up is like part of our joy over the summer like because both of us were sick of the brooklyn nets i remember when we picked our top five games and i do like mini series i do like watching the adjustments of the mini series yeah. but part of my thought process was you know at least if we must watch the pacers play the brooklyn nets we'll get to see if tj warren is still an actual basketball player and like that still isn't happening
0: i still don't know if
1: he's a hologram or not
0: yeah um I'm not excited to watch the Nets again. I've had to watch them so many times for work and it's just, it's not really something I enjoy. Um, over under, how are you? Or well, I guess not really an over under cause I can't put an over under on it. Steve Nash. Do you think Steve Nash is still the coach by February?
1: I'm thinking probably not.
0: Yeah. Based on last night's press conference, I'm thinking probably not too. So we'll see what happens. Um, they're having a fun time. Do you have any like just random NBA thoughts that you want to get out? Not to drag your night on. If you're ready to go, we can go. But
1: no, I don't I don't have any random takes to get off. Okay.
0: I'm glad the Sacramento Kings won yesterday. I think that's the only thing I have to say. But Caitlin, this was an absolute blast. To everyone listening, thank you for listening. Let us know what you think. Uh, about our candy and the way that we talk about the pacers and be sure to rate and review us over on apple podcasts spotify wherever you get your podcasts most importantly enjoy the rest of your day thank you for listening